Welcome to the Grand Conversation, the Machon Siach Podcast. Machon Siach at SAR High School, honoring the memory of Belda K. Lindemann, Zichronal of is the research arm of SAR High School, where faculty bridge theory and practice on matters of Jewish education, curriculum, and culture that are central to the modern Orthodox community. I'm your host, Shmuel Hain, Rosh Beit Midrash at SAR High School, co-director of Machon Siach, and our producer is Rabbi Avi Bloom, director of technology at SAR High School. Today, we continue our conversation about spirituality and modern Orthodox Yeshiva high schools. We previously introduced this topic with Rabbanit Lisa Schlaff and Dr. Gillian Steinberg, who shared the work of Machon Siach's faculty Beit Midrash on spirituality. Today's grand conversation features the principals of SAR High School, Rabbi Tully Hartstark, principal of SAR High School and Dina Machon Siach, and Rabbi Jonathan Kroll, principal of SAR High School, and previously the principal of Katz Yeshiva High School in Boca Raton, Florida. We're recording this during the school day, so please excuse any noises that may come up and some students running into the office. Tilly and John, welcome to the Grand Conversation. Thank you, Shmuel. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. This is John's first appearance, so we're very excited to be able to sit down and talk to both of you and talk about an issue which gets to the core of what SAR High School is about and what modern Orthodox Yeshiva High School education is all about, and that is spirituality. So before we begin, we should probably begin with some definition of terms, uh, describing what, it, what we mean when we talk about spirituality. And Tilly, you wrote a paper that's going to be released with this podcast about spirituality, where you discuss what spirituality means and how the meaning of the term has shifted somewhat over the last uh, several decades. Do you want to talk a little bit about that in the context of our conversation? Uh, sure. Uh, spirituality, right? when I think of spirituality, it's very hard to pin down a particular definition, but uh, the idea of sensing that there is something that is beyond the concrete, beyond uh, the here and now, what you can feel and touch, uh, can be def- it can be defined and described and shaped in lots of ways, but it feels to me, or at least the way that I'm using it, is that that's the common aspect of it, to be able to develop that capacity to feel that there is something that runs much deeper bigger beyond um, in the world. Um, and I would start with that as a definition. John, do you have any thoughts on how you think about spirituality or how you define it or how you talk about it with kids? Well, it's interesting. I would say that when Tully talked about it, that sort of like otherworldly experience, I think of it like that as well. But I also, you know, as he was talking, I was thinking to myself that it's the kind of thing that need not be exclusively in the um, kind of like Jewish practice arena. In other words, one can sometimes feel that otherworldly feeling like you're part of something bigger when you're at um, like La Havdil, a, 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 a sporting event where everybody's cheering for that. They might, you might have like that sort of otherworldly experience or it could be at another event, something else that's not necessarily Jewish, which I think strikes an interesting kind of distinction between religious and spiritual, which I think is something I think is important to think about as well. Right. I, de- I definitely think, if I can, that the idea of, um, of spirituality as we use otherworldly, so it, uh, it kind of triggers a little bit in me the thought of sometimes you think about spirituality as moving from where you are into another world. Um, and I'd like to contrast that with the idea of feeling that sometimes what is beyond actually breaks into the world that you're living in now. And almost you know different kinds of spiritualities can revolve around how you understand the goal like are you trying to get to that otherworldly place or are you allowed to are you, are you interested in having something that feels beyond be able to 
break in, uh, you know, through a crevice into the world that you're living in right now? Well, in that spirit of trying to get something that maybe lives beyond to break through into this world, let's shift to talk a little bit about high school education and specifically Essayer High School and the role that spirituality has played in uh, the development of the school. So I want to go back 20 years almost, I guess we're at 20 years, to when you were conceiving the vision of SAR High School. And we'll start with you, Tully. What did you think at the time about spirituality? Was that something that was a given? Did you have the, the did, you, did you articulate what were the spiritual goals for students of SAR High School? It is interesting to reflect back on that. I think that uh, we did not articulate specific goals, um, and John, you were there too. You can tell me if I'm misremembering something, but I don't think we articulated specific spirituality-related kinds of goals. I think that we did uh, assume, for example, that, I mean, tefillah was going to be central. That was really important. Um, I, I think that at that time in my life, and it's been a lot of years that I think about davening as something that is, its power is in its routine, and it comes from kind of the kishkas and the way it is that you're raised. And I think that one of the assumptions that I made then, it wasn't a complete assumption, but somehow it was definitely in there, is that people have that. Like, you know, you're, you know, Jews, they daven, that's what they do, in a way that I think was, uh, uh, you know, a faulty assumption and increasingly challenging assumption to make. On the other hand, on the informal side of things, we definitely were very, you know, leaned heavily into the need for spirituality in an informal sense, through Shabbat Tonim, you know, spending Shabbos together, singing together, that type of thing. Um, and I know we're going to spend a little bit of time on the paper, but that kind of where the davening formal, how that fits in, and the informal, spiritual, other kind of programming, and how they, you know, exist separately or interconnectedly feels really important to me. So let's pick up on the informal programming. John, when, when SAR High School started, you were the assistant principal, and very involved in all of student activities, uh, the Shabbatons, Color War, Chagigot, Yemei Yun. Rabbi Bloom was your partner in picking out locations for, for some of those uh, famous Shabbatonim religious guidance. In those early years of the high school, how deliberate was that decision to emphasize informal education, educational opportunities, did that evolve? What did you learn from those early years of, of conducting that, that kind of programming? The truth is, when I was brought on board as one of the early members of the uh, kind of team here at SAR High School, I was coming from my experience at Yeshiva Flappish. Yeshiva Flappish, I was a teacher, I was Israel Guidance, and I was very much involved in the Shabbatonim and the informal education there. I was like I was uh, Rabbi Tully Besser's kind of assistant at Yeshiva Flappish. So I was coming in with very much a background in informal education. I was an NCSY advisor when I was in Smicha. I YUSSR. Ran, I, ran some, I was involved in like running programs in the former Soviet Union when I was in college. So I very much felt at home in the world of informal education. And when I began formal education at Shiva Flappish, I remember some mentors of mine there telling me to try, trying to encourage me to unlearn a lot of my informal educational kind of experience so that I'd be a real teacher in the classroom. And while I think there's some truth to that, I think I, I rejected that to a large extent and felt that there's something magical about the informal camp experience and the Shabbaton experience. And I 
tried my hardest to be able to bring that into the everyday life of school while maintaining serious, rigorous learning as part of, uh, you know, a student's experience in school. So, again, because of, I don't know if we had a conversation in the early years of the school, Tully, about, like, let's figure out how to, you know, kind of bring the spirituality. But I think that because of, you know, I think of my interest, certainly, we made it clear that the, the school started with uh, 60 or so students the first year of the school, and priority one was to make sure that we had a, big rocking Shabbaton and we did it along with Maimonides if you recall our first year of the school well you bet we went to Rhode Island to make a you know a, a, a Shabbaton with another school because we wanted to make sure it was bigger than just 60 kids we I, mean, I apologize if we used Maimonides for their numbers but at the time that's really that was that was a value and that was something that was really important uh, for us but I mean just to say one more thing I you know, you totally mentioned tefillah as something that is, uh, you know, the notion of spirituality in that. I feel that to, and I, I, I feel bad about this, but I think this is the reality of my experience is that to a certain extent we have sort of given up on tefillah as being the place for spirituality and recognize that Shabbatonim and informal education, a lot of the singing and dancing and chagigas and stuff like that is where that spiritual nourishment is taking place in more than it is in davening. I wanted to just to respond in terms of talking about spirituality and thinking about it early on. I don't, uh, you know, in the, in the life of the school, I'm wondering whether the the term it obviously existed, but um, and I can't. It has definitely grown into a much more into a category of its own over the recent decades. And I venture to say that at that point, spirituality was not a category in our not only in our thinking about it, but in kind of the central place that it has in our community. Spirituality, ruchnius, obviously has always been crucial in Judaism and in avodat Hashem. But I don't think it existed as a separate category in that sense. And that's interesting to. Think, uh, consider on its own. I think that that's right, and I've also just because I I have a very distinct memory of that distinction I made before between religiosity and spirituality. I remember, in an early Shabbaton back in the day, maybe close to twenty years ago, I remember you reading through an article of the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, in which he drew that distinction and derisively talk spoke about spirituality as a sort sort of like self centered kind of uh, experience that is to be contrasted with an authentic Jewish experience, which he says was religiosity. And I agree with you, though. I think we're, we're in a different place now in the way we think about spiritual growth and experience. Yeah, and saying that we give up, you know, the, I, I, I'm sure that you don't mean to give up on spirituality during, in, you know, because coming through tefillah. But I, I think that part of that, um, part of what I worry about, and I think part of what I was trying to get trying to get out of the paper a little bit, is the way that the definition of spirituality and what that experience is makes us think that davening isn't the place for that, or the things that some people might experience in davening, which isn't the Shabbaton experience, isn't also real tefillah or you know, authentic spirituality, and broadening out the possibilities of what the spiritual experience can be, can look like, feels really important. Almost to be able to bring it back to like davening, I actually can have that, even if it's very, in its very daily routine. So let's let's go a little further on that in terms of what you're suggesting in the paper, how you think, contra what John just said, that that we can bring t- uh, spirituality into tefillah, and we shouldn't see it as 
kind of a, a part of the day where we don't get the spiritual nourishment? How do we do that? Yeah, I don't, I, I it, it's, it, it's not a, there's no s- a simple solution. I don't propose that. One thing that I, I feel strongly about is that the, the ritualized uh, aspects of davening have a tremendous power and that uh, it has become kind of commonplace to critique the ritual nature of davening because that's just routinized and uh, you know it's what we do all the time but that's not where the real feeling comes and you know the historians can trace how in the past 200 years authenticity truth actually is uh, what you feel is actually what's true for you that isn't always the way that it is and that's that's not always the way it's been thought about and so people um, you know if you're not feeling it it might not be it might not be authentic or true, but the reality is that those ritual practices that we have have an amazing power. Um, just to give an example of uh, the way that it plays out day to day, I'm amazed by, you know, there are kids who love to daven, there are kids who like to daven, but sometimes they f- fade in and out in a given day, and the people who struggle a lot with davening. But the things that there are certain things that everybody does, and the things that everybody does are the things that are most powerfully ritualized. They can be physical gestures. So, wherever it is that you are um, on the scale, you 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 know jump up and down three times, and you say kadosh kadosh. You take three steps back and three steps forward, or the Shema that you're saying out loud in a collective fashion. Um, so many kids say, "Well, I daven Shema and." Shmon Esrei, they do the, you know, the, the kids who wear, we might hope for more, but I would like us to think more about the collective power of those kinds of things, both in terms of what they're already accomplishing now, which I think is a lot. And I also wonder, uh, this is the wonder part of the paper, as to whether those should be spiritual practices, that what Chazal actually had in mind is what we sometimes in kind of contemporary yoga-ish spirituality talk about spiritual practices, but kind of imagining stepping back from Hashem or stepping up to a conversation with Hashem and then actually giving thought um, to how those practices can um, create thoughts and experiences in my mind and, and working on that um, rather than seeing all of that work happening outside of the formal davening space. If I may, I want to share an interesting thing. We had a Shabbaton this past weekend. Uh, juniors came together for Shabbaton. And I had a very interesting sort of response from a number of kids relating to what Tully just spoken about. Just spoke about. We asked the students, "What's something in your halachic practice that you find spiritually nourishing, spiritually fulfilling?" And most kid, a couple of kids in my group spoke about engaging in certain types of chesed, being adam lechaviro, help you know, helping other people. The vast majority of the students spoke about davening, and they spoke about very routinized sorts of parts of their davening. One kid, two kids spoke about how spiritual and connected they feel when they say Kriyat Shmalamita. Two kids who I didn't think said Kriyat Shmalamita, frankly. Um, other kids spoke about, you know, davening the, fir- the brachot in the morning. And these were very routinized kinds of ways in which they said they felt spiritual, which I thought was interesting and gave me a little more hope for davening having that sort of role that you're that you're speaking about so it actually brings two things to mind if i uh, uh one is if i'm going to give a shout out to my dear son romy and he was a counselor in camp this uh this summer 
and uh, was thinking, watching his bunk daven and uh, or struggling with davening. And he, because you mentioned uh, the morning brachos, Birchad HaShachar, he actually, uh, you know, arranged for an exercise for the kids in his bunk, in, the, in those bunks, to actually experience Birchad HaShachar the way that they were meant to be experienced. So he told them to just stay in bed. And, uh, you know, when you sit up, everybody together should, you know, when you open your eyes, you should make a pokeh And when you put on your clothes, you should make a malbisharumim. And you put your feet on the ground. And to realize the power of what the brachot are trying to cultivate the, in your experiencing kind of your everyday morning. And that is a... Actually, the opposite. The routine is in order to take the routine and make you realize how enormous it is that you're experiencing. And the one other, if I can, because talking about those quick minyanim, my memory from uh, when I was in yeshiva in Israel, uh, before coming back, I had uh, the, the strong message was you're going to go back and daven in your daily minyanim, which just zoom really quickly and, uh, you know, there's no real spirituality. You get back to, you know, out of the yeshiva and back to the regular routine. And when I was... Uh, Rabbi of a shul for a couple of years of Ketur Torah in Tinek, they had the, uh, they, when they started, they had no minion. They just decided to make the earliest minion uh, in town for people who couldn't otherwise, didn't otherwise have minion to go to. So it was a 6 a.m. minion, and it was mainly for doctors who needed to be in a hospital by 7.15, fastest minion in town, people getting there. You know, five to six in the morning in the middle of the winter and done by 625, which by yeshiva standards was, what kind of davening is that? And I looked at these people and I said, holy cow, that, I mean, that is avodat Hashem, the spirituality, what that, what that means is really powerful. And it just opens up a whole different set of, of possible ways to experience it. All right, those are great uh, stories from, from school and from shul experiences. I want to come back to SR High School and think a little bit about how students have changed and how the community has evolved over the last 20 years. John, I'll start with you. Um, do you have a sense that students are different when it comes to spirituality, that there's changes going on in the modern Orthodox world and the larger um, religious uh, space and the environment, uh, broadly speaking, that has seeped into our students? And, and if so, how do you think as a school we should be reacting to that? Is there a danger? In, 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 are we giving up on rigor? Uh, are some of the, um, some of the concerns that uh, Rabbi Sachs raised in that piece, which you said nowadays he probably wouldn't have categorized as such, do you share any of those concerns? always mindful of some of those concerns, but by and large, I really see the growth and development and where things are different now as a positive. I think that, yes, much, much ink has been spilled on the uh, neo-Hasidic movement within the modern Orthodox world. I believe it's an Orthodox forum. It's supposed to be coming out soon. But coming out soon. Um, I think that the fact that lots of our students sing Joey Newcomb songs Lots of our students think it's cool to have a sticker on their computer of the thank you Hashem symbol. Uh, lots of our students are more familiar with Jewish music and that sort of like, you know, the spiritual world that comes along with Jewish music, I think is fantastic and I think is very, very different than what things were like, you know, 20 years ago. So overall, I'm like enthusiastic about it. I think it needs to be further developed, further nurtured, and um, it's, I see it as being, I don't see it as being a loss of rigor. I think the kids should still be learning Gemara 
as they should be learning Gemara. They should still be learning Tanakh as they should be learning Tanakh. I just I don't see the um, I don't see the conflict. Uh, I I agree that the the neo Hasidus, the Joey Newcomb, that all of that is a, is a is a very strong positive, and I th- you see that uh, that it is it is cool. Um, I think that the current definitions I feel though can be limiting, which means it certainly point to kids for whom that mode that medium doesn't necessarily speak to them, and. That depends on the community. We're talking about our school community, this particular school. I think in this school community, that speaks to a lot of people, uh, but doesn't speak to all people. And I do feel like there is um, a lack of alternative. There's got to be other uh, modes, um, which might be, you know, part of, part of you know, the rigor, the alternative to the rigor is not um, the, you know, learning the, the Gemara. It is some of that routinized kind of davening could also be spiritual, could also be meaningful. There, there are, you know, davening less, but paying attention, you know, could also be meaningful there. there. I'll throw another thing in, Tully. It's There's something, and I've seen this in my class, and I've seen some students who are more, who've pushed me in this, more in this direction than I naturally would kind of move, and I really, I like it, where I find that kids will sometimes push me to take a step back and like, okay, we've learned this sugya, I'm, learning, I'm teaching brachot in 12th grade, okay, we learned the sugya, okay, so what does this really mean for me as a religious person? And like, we, okay, they're learning the Gemara and the Rishonim and they know how to read the Gemara beautifully. It's not a conflict to then take a step back and be able to ask those kind of questions about what it means to me. That's what I think is like the, like, you know, t- to look at that, what John, what Rice Sachs had looked at, as I said, derisively before, it's all about you. Yeah, it's got to be about you also. There is something personal here, and it's important to like embrace that personal piece. And I think that's uh, something that some of those students who may not find the the uh, kind of the singing and the dancing and the chevershaft of like you know really hanging out together and, and like that sort of um, spirituality and that maybe that neo-Hasidic way of thinking about things. There's something about just being spiritually reflective, which is like wonderful for so many kids that we don't do as much. So as an all, uh, Mr. Fleischer has been suggesting for a long time, and Rabbi Nadel, uh, I know he does that this himself, and maybe a little bit with students, is spiritual journaling exactly in the mode that you described. That you can actually take a Gemara that you learned and write about what does that mean to me in terms of my own spiritual growth. But saying that, you know, it, it is exciting in my mind to imagine a school where the, the, the neo-Hasidus, the tish, the dancing, that's happening, but the spiritual journaling is also happening, and the people who kind of like to daven quickly and do it every day and go to Minyanim, that's happening, and the Vad group, which is practicing, kind of taking those ideas of religious practices and figuring out how to make, you know, makam kavua and nefilat apayim, like some of those things into actual meaningful behaviors, that there is an array of avenues, of paths in that a, a student would say, oh, in this school, yeah, there are a couple of things. Like, you know, I could take this route, could take that route because they exist in different places in the building. The other good thing about multiple paths and multiple routes, I think, is that uh, it doesn't necessarily then break down on, on gender. And so boys and girls uh, can can engage in that spiritual journaling and in some of the uh, practices where in some uh, circles where neo-Hasidut is 
on the rise, even within modern orthodoxy, it plays out more, I think, with boys than it does with girls. And that's something that I think we're conscious of because uh, being a co-ed school is so important to what we are. I think it's also, you know, alternatives, when you use that word, it can make people anxious about what you're trying to change. And the idea of, uh, you know, writing narratives of your learning, you know, the, of uh, David Weinberg's book is basically rooted in that uh, kind of practice. The 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 things in Davening we're talking about are that's what Chazal had in mind in doing that. These are basically trying to take things that are very deeply rooted in our tradition and just let them bubble up to the top and put them to use. When you frame it like that, it really, I mean, it feels a little bit like, I mean, I, I don't want to be too um, hard on myself, but it does feel a bit uh, educational malpractice not to be doing that. I mean, I don't know, how could how could we need to incorporate that ASAP? Let's do it. Yeah, even some of the tefillot, like the when you go into the Beit Midrash and go out of the Beit Midrash, that started as kind of a spiritual, aspirational journaling kind of thing, and it, now it's become somewhat routinized. But we have to figure out ways to to create the space for that. So I want to kind of conclude. Um, by talking a little bit about how you think you have changed personally as religious individuals, as spiritual individuals, and also as principles in your thinking about uh, these issues over the last you know, couple of decades and how your experiences and your own personal journeys has uh, put you in the spot you're at now. We'll start with you, John. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to, like, bear myself too much here. I hope it's not... Uh, That's what we're uh, looking for. The, uh, I'll say, my, personally, I really have become much, much more interested in the writings of Hasidus. Um, I spend Shabbos. That's pretty much what I do on Shabbos is my learning of Hasidus, and I feel like the early days of the pandemic pushed me in that direction, spending a lot of time at home, not in the shul. Um, and I, I've feel like you know I've been taken by that sort of uh, that sort of learning um, so personally I feel much more much more attuned to um, kind of like the messages of Hasidus where there's what things mean to the individual experiencing Judaism as much as it is about understanding a text of Judaism um, that's just my it's my own personal way I think about things and for that I, I listen I've always felt that the affective learning, how we want kids to behave and experience school is really important. I, I just think it's doubly important now. Um, I, I was raised in my, my father's home. Shabbos was, you know, I always had to get the, uh, my, my job was to bring the Sfarim upstairs and they were the Sfasemes and the Shemi Shmuel and that's, uh, you know, what, what I was raised on. And I think that when I came to Yeshiva and then started to take it seriously, the idea of uh, that kind of um, it's, it is a kind of a mystical prayer was what was closest to my heart and I think it required the use of my imagination in order to daven and in my thinking about different forms of prayer that idea of like tefillah through using your imagination has become kind of a category which, allowed, which made me in retrospect realize that there came a point where as a teacher I couldn't really explain what that was and it made me um, anxious meaning a little, a little um, suspect of using your imagination too much, which I have to say I totally respect and don't creep me. I think there's some great power, but I did find myself shifting to something of a more philosophically oriented kind of tefillah. But as the years have gone on now, I, I am much more 
this worldly in my spirituality and in my tefillah. It has like a lot more to do with experiencing the sanctity of, uh, you know, the morning and the sunrise and the daily things and the family members that are around you and um, being able to walk to shul with your kid on, you know, on Friday nights next to somebody, those things. And in my mind, I see those as very different, like using your imagination and thinking about it philosophically and thinking about it in a kind of a social, disworldly kind of way. Um, I think it's important in my mind that people should realize that there are possibilities and that life is a journey and that you can be a prayer in the world in different kinds of ways over the course of a lifetime. One of the things I worry about most is uh, for people, for kids in particular, they'd say, like, I guess this isn't for me. And it's really important to say, like, this particular experience right now might not be, but there are many other options, other ways to be able to engage it. I would only add uh, that one of the gifts of teaching here over the last few years is that we've given teachers an opportunity to go beyond their comfortable limits uh, in this realm. So I've been teaching a junior vod the last couple of years where um, I've been exploring Reb Tzadok and teaching Tzidkas HaTzadik, which is not something I ever thought that I would do um, personally and certainly uh, in this school, and it's been an amazing experience. Now, there's a certain kind of chassidut which I connect with more, that kind of Shemi Shmuel, Reb Tzadok, you know, Lithuanian background where it kind of combines the the lumdus and the the spiritual dimension and the emotional uh, power. Um, but I have found that those kinds of opportunities which we've created here in SAR High School has been re- really meaningful for students and and for teachers. So I want to thank uh, both Rabbi Hartstark and Rabbi Kroll for their time today and for creating a place where we can think about and practice and experiment in the realm of spirituality and hopefully elevate our students and ourselves along the way. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.